Welcome to Faith and Family. I'm Andy Bates. The Psalms, the Psalter, a beautiful uh, collection of uh, in God's Word that uh, that that points us to the many aspects of life in life in in this this world that God has created for us, and yet this this look to life eternal with Him as well. Beautiful poetry. Where does it? What what is its place? As the saints gather together in corporate worship, what is its place as the family gathers together around God's Word at home? I'm Eddie Bates. Thanks for joining me for Faith and Family today. And thanks to our friends at Concordia University, Wisconsin, their great support of Faith and Family on Worldwide KFUO. Find them in the sponsor section on kfuo.org. Look for the CUW logo. Joining me by phone today, Matthew Mockamer, Associate Contour at Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne. Matthew, welcome to Faith and Family. Thanks for having me, Andy. It's a pleasure to be here. Glad to have some time with you today to learn about uh, the the Psalms in in the divine service, uh, in prayer services, and in family devotions as well. Tell us about your service at uh, at Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, as associate cantor. It would be my pleasure. Um, I've been serving here at the seminary in Fort Wayne since uh, the summer of 2014. So I'm coming up now on what will be my fourth academic year at the seminary. Um, Really, serving at the seminary is not unlike um, serving in a local parish in some ways. Um, As the cantor, as the associate cantor, um, my colleague and I, Kevin Hildebrand and I, work in the chapel primarily, leading the song of the seminary community. Um, So this takes form in a a couple of different ways, Um, playing organ and piano for worship, um, planning chapel hymns and liturgy, um, recruiting and directing students in various choirs or instrumentalists, um, and really spending some time with as many seminarians as we can at, at some point throughout the year and just teaching them how to be better singers, how to be comfortable with their own voices so that they can serve the church well once they leave this place. Um, and in addition to those things, um, you know, there are some responsibilities, composing, um, things like that. Um, kind of what you would expect your local church musician to be doing is what we do here, too. Um, the only difference is that our membership changes almost every single year. <laughs> so, when did you start learning about this this vocation of church musician or contour? When did you start learning about that and think this might be something I might like to do? <laughs> That's a great question, and uh, there's really a two part answer. I think for me, I started learning to answer that question first. I think uh, the moment I was born, <laughs> my, uh, my father is a church musician um, and has been ever since he graduated from his undergraduate work at Concordia, both in Ann Arbor and River Forest. Um, so uh, we've lived both in St. Louis and in Detroit uh, in 19, I believe it was 1988, he took a call to serve a church in Detroit. But ever since I've been born and, and a few years before then, He has served as a full-time church musician, so I kind of grew up watching him uh, being involved in the things that he was doing, but also just Sunday in and Sunday out, watching what he was doing, um, paying close attention to those things. And, you know, for a long time, to answer your second question, when did I think about it um, as 
a young kid, you know, maybe middle school or so, I was very much in a way kind of against it because it was something my, my dad did. My mom was a school teacher, but also involved in the music at our church. So I thought, well, I don't want to do what my mom and dad are doing. I want to do something else. And when I got to the end of my time in high school, it became apparent to me when I was honest with myself that I really couldn't imagine doing anything else. Um, so I uh, attended university, started studying um, to be a church musician and a, and a music educator, and have not regretted it for a moment since. It seems just like the thing that I was meant to do all along. And like I said, you know, in younger years, maybe fought that a little bit just because of family dynamics, but it, it was wonderful. It's been great. And, um, and a lot of that learning happened before I even went to school for it, just watching my father do it so very well for so many years. What was it that you saw about the relationship between your father, the church musician, and the congregation as, uh, as he led the, the congregation in song, in the church's song? You know, I think that's um, a very important relationship in our churches. And um, again, this was something that just was part of my DNA growing up, and I didn't really think about it too much until I left my home church went away to school and started seeing other churches regularly um, and realizing what a great gift I had growing up um, with that wonderful leadership. Um, a lot of times I think as musicians, we're trained uh, to be very performance driven, thinking about playing the best possible music um, and doing it as well as we possibly can. Uh, but the important thing to remember as a cantor or as a church musician is that your primary responsibility is to lead the singing of your church and your choir. Um, everyone has a choir in their church, and that would be everybody who happens to show up on Sunday morning <laughs> or whenever else you gather for corporate worship. And so that really affected my playing. Um, and it was modeled, like I said, very well by my dad. He was very easy to sing along with. He was very consistent in how he played and creative, but not distracting. Um, and that is something that I've tried to model and, and shoot for in my own playing, um, knowing that my primary responsibility is to play um, consistently and well for the people that I serve Sunday in and Sunday out or during the week here at the seminary so that they can sing the liturgy and sing the hymns uh, with confidence and be drawn more deeply into those wonderful tunes and texts that we have um, as Lutherans, that great gift that we enjoy. The, the, the Church's song and the Word of God, what is the relationship between the, what we sing, uh, whether we sing or chant, uh, what is that relationship between what we sing or chant and, and the Word of God? Well, I, that relationship is, is deep and abiding. It's really a relationship, I think, that it's similar to the relationship, I would argue, between the Word of God and good preaching. Mm -hmm. um, the Church's song is, is really drawn out of the Scriptures themselves. It's drawn out of God's Word itself. And so the best songs, the best hymns that we have are those um, that preach the Word of God to us. And as Lutherans, I think especially, we have a very unique understanding of the Church's song. Um, Martin Luther himself and, 
And theologians from before his time and after have acknowledged the fact that the gospel is preached through the or the uh, the gospel is preached through music, as it is through the office of the pastor. And so, uh, those who are privileged to help lead the church's song, I think, need to recognize that as well. That we, in a sense, we are preaching to our congregations by how we do that, um, and that puts. Um, more responsibility, I think, on it than we always consider, but it's also a wonderful privilege and joy to do that. Um, but we Lutherans, I think, historically have always seen the church's song as being um, linked to the Word of God, and, and that's, that's a bond that we can't break. It's just part of who we are. We see that as part of our proclamation of the gospel. And so the Psalms, where... Why do we sing the psalms in in divine service, in prayer services? Why why are the songs are the psalms a part of our gathering, our, our corporate worship? Well, the psalms have always, I think, been a part of the corporate worship of the church, and this would go back all the way before the New Testament church. Even, you know, as you know, David wrote many of the Psalms, not all of them. Um, but if you look far back into the worship life, say, of the, the Jewish temple or even the Jewish synagogue, these places where the people of God would gather regularly. Now, the temple, that gathering would be regular in the sense of once or twice a year at regular prescribed times. Um, but the synagogue would have kind of been like your local parish church. And that's where the people of God would be gathering many times in the morning and in the evening to hear the Word of God read. Most of them um, could not read. And even if they did, to have those scrolls in the home, you know, you would not have seen that kind of stuff very often. So if you want to hear the Word of God, you're going to go to the synagogue primarily. Um, But in addition to hearing those readings and to have the rabbi or the teacher of the law kind of preach and expound on those things, Psalm singing would be part of that life, even in the Old Testament. Um, And that has carried over into the New Testament time that we live in now. Um, Even shortly after Christ, as the biblical canon, those, those books of the Bible that we now consider to be the scriptures, were still being formulated um, you you see the reading and the singing of psalms in some of the earliest examples of Christian worship, corporate gatherings of Christians. They're taking these Old Testament texts that they have, even though they're still developing the New Testament texts, um, and they're interpreting them through the lens of Christ. And the psalms are that way, too. They begin to become almost a commentary on the readings that they follow. So if you think about the divine service, the psalmody is usually prescribed in one of two places. The first would be um, like an entrance psalm in a sense. Uh, sometimes we'll refer to this as the introit. This will be a shorter psalm text that um, primarily is used when the pastor, the acolytes, whoever else might be assisting in the service, if they process in, we sing this text tied to the theme of the day as they, they come towards the altar. But the other place that the psalms are located are right after the Old Testament reading, almost as a bridge between the Old Testament reading and the epistle reading. And this is pretty um, similar to what would have been happening in the early church. The psalm 
serves as a commentary on the Old Testament reading. It helps us interpret what's happening and also helps us interpret what's happening in the epistle. We read these psalms Christologically. We read them through the eyes of Christ. They're about Jesus um, as he confesses, you know, on the road to Emmaus when he says, all scripture is about me. Uh, and we, we understand that even with the psalms. Um, and again, sometimes they'll be read, sometimes they'll be sung. Um, but it's been a part of the worship life of the church even before Christ, and I think is a really beautiful way for us to recognize and remember that we're tied to the church of all ages, the saints who have lived before us, the ones who will come after us. It's, it's, a, it's a great thing. Why the, the, the psalms that we do include in our services, whether divine service or prayer services, why do we... How did we get the, those selected psalms? Yeah, good question. Um, as your listeners may know, um, we kind of have two different lectionaries or orders of readings that we use in the church. One is a, a three-year cycle. The other one is a one-year cycle. And so the three-year cycle lectionary basically says that in the course of three years, when you come to that fourth year, you're going to hear the same readings you heard on the first year. Um, the one-year cycle is, is just repeats every year. So say the first Sunday in Advent will always have the same readings every, every year in the one-year cycle. Uh, this one-year cycle is sometimes referred to as a historic lectionary. Um, these readings have been assigned to these specific days in the church here for generations, centuries even. Um, way before the time of Luther, this was already in development. And so a lot of these psalms were selected, really, I would say, by the church at large to be tied into these specific readings. Um, and, and the three-year lectionary is much the same way. Now, this was developed... Um, Gosh, the date escapes me, but it's been since Vatican II in the Roman Catholic Church, we've de kind of developed a three-year lectionary, and some uh, theologians, now deceased, many still living, uh, who served on those committees kind of took the same approach to the Psalms to see how we were going to organize the various Old Testament epistle and gospel readings of the day, and then find Psalm texts that would link to that. Um, there's some Perhaps the best way to illustrate it is to just show <laughs> maybe how one wouldn't do it. So, for example, if you're familiar with the text of Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Um, very poignant psalm, um, lamenting and grieving, quoted by Christ as he hangs on the cross. This is not the psalm that you will probably assign to Christmas morning. <laughs> it just would not work. Um However, uh, assigning it to Holy Week, um, Passion Sunday, Good Friday, these types of things would be very appropriate. So the Church recognizes that the Psalms convey a whole variety of emotions, um, some of them grieving and lamenting, some of them praising and extolling God for His great gifts. And so uh, we use our human reason to link those up with readings in which they will make helpful commentary on. What parts of the service are particularly psalms or derived from the psalms? Oh, wow. That's a great question. Um, there's almost 
there's so much. I mean, as you begin to look through the various services, you see them all over the place. Um, we've been kind of talking about the divine service a little bit, um, but if you look at the daily office services or the prayer services, like matins or morning prayer, vespers or evening prayer or compline, these services especially have just a great amount of material that are derived from the Psalms. Um, many of them will start with opening versicles. Um, think about those first lines of Matins. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. Make haste, O God, to deliver me. Make haste to help me, O Lord. This is part of our liturgy at the beginning of Matins, but it's derived directly from the Psalms. Um, again, to stay in the service of Matins for a minute. After we hear the readings, we respond back with these verses probably that folks know very well. Forever, O Lord, your word is firmly set in the heavens. Lord, I love the habitation of your house and the place where your glory dwells. Taken directly from Psalm 119, from Psalm 28. Um, so we've used these things not only as psalms in a specific designated spot in our services, but also as the basis of our liturgy, um, which is a good and uh, salutary practice. It's, it's always safe to say to God the things that he says about himself. And uh, that is the best and purest way that we can praise him, is to take the word that he has given to us in his, in his scripture and to repeat it back to him in praise and thanksgiving. So, um, and, and off the top of my head, the one spot in the divine service I'm thinking of right now is, um, Create in me a clean heart, O God, sung as an offertory in um, one of our settings of the divine service, right from Psalm 51. So we don't just use them as psalms proper, but we also use them to inform our liturgy and our life together. What would you say is unique about chanting the psalms as opposed to how we might sing anything else? Mm, yes. Um, chanting the psalms is a very unique way of singing, I would say. Um, if you can even call it singing, it's really more of a heightened speech and for generations of the church's life, this is how you would have heard almost everything read in church. Um, the culture was a very oral culture. Uh, remember, you don't have a lot of things that are written down there. They're spoken to one another, passed on in that way, and in many times they're sung. Um, and chanting the Psalms, again, serves as kind of a heightened speech. So when you sing a hymn, a lot of times you'll have hymns that will have a very kind of regular meter. Um, they have strong strong beats and weak beats, you can kind of anticipate where they're going. The Psalms are not that way. Um, they're not metrical in that sense. So when we chant the Psalms, we're kind of combining the best of singing and the best of speaking. Um, we're, we're singing at the pace that we would speak these Psalms. And those chant tones are typically quite simple, which is intentional. Almost anyone can do it. I would argue anyone can chant the Psalms. Um, and because they're so simple, it allows us to really think about those texts in a devotional type of way. Um, you're not trying to manage necessarily an overly difficult melody. Um, much of the chanting is done on a single pitch. And for me, you know, living in church music world 24-7, that can be a very comforting thing sometimes. It allows me to just kind of take a step back sing in, in that sense, but also to really focus on those psalms and make those my prayer. I would dare to say that 
in chanting the Psalms, we're even taking more time to reflect on them than we would in just speaking them. Because sometimes in speaking them, we we tend to, when we're reading or speaking something, we tend to rush through it. I, I would dare to say that in, in chanting them, we take even more time and attention, uh, give even more time and attention to the, to the word, to the text when we, when we chant. I think you're right in that um, assumption. That's been my experience as well. And, and that's, I think one of the, the powerful aspects of music in the church is that, it has the ability to take a text that perhaps we've heard hundreds of times. Think about Psalm 23. Everyone knows Psalm 23. It's a great comfort. Mm-hmm. Um, but when, you, when you're when you singing it and when you're chanting it, like you said, it, it focuses you to look at it, forces you to focus on it in a different way. Um, you take time to really pour over those words and again, as you had mentioned, it takes a little bit more time. And that's not always a bad thing, especially for these texts that we're very familiar with. I think the more familiar you are with something, the easier it is to rush over it. So being forced in a way to slow down and really dig into something um, is, is good for the soul. <laughs> we In our home, uh, this is just regarding music and words and uh, paying attention to the words. We found in our home, uh, I have a son who is uh, soon to be four years old, and mm. if I speak something to him, he may or may not hear me. But if I sing something to him, whether it's instructions or something I want him to hear, he actually pays attention, and then he'll sing back in response, just making up melodies right there, uh, you know, spontaneously. And mm-hmm. it's really quite fascinating. If If I sing, he'll sing back. Uh, as opposed to if I just speak in my normal voice or even in a frustrated tone, <laughs> uh, he, he may or may not hear or respond. But if I sing to him, he will sing back. And it's I think that says something about um, the the different attention we give to uh, to music, to to singing as opposed to our our speech. Sure, I think you're right there. It it draws you in in a different type of of a way. I've had this conversation with um, my my former pastor in Michigan. We were talking about how much of the service we should chant and how much we should sing. And um, he always made a point to chant the words of institution when we got to that setting of this that spot of the service. Um, and I thought that was just lovely because it sets those words apart from other words that we speak. Um, I think singing does that. It has the power to, to take that speech and set it apart and highlight it in a unique way. With just under a minute left, how about the Psalms in, in family devotions and in, in uh, times of prayer for the family? Uh, how might you recommend that we use that uh, in just under 60 seconds? Sure. Um, well, I think there's a couple ways you can you can handle that. A lot of times uh, it's a good practice, I think, to just take the psalm that you would have used in church. Or if you don't do the psalms, if you do something like the intro it, you can find some of these texts printed in different publications or on the Synod's website. But take those and read them back and forth or sing them back and forth with your family. Um, Another thing, if you have younger kids, I've thought about this. I've got a six-year-old, a four-year-old, and a nine-month-old at home, so we're a young family. Um, 
is just maybe focusing on one psalm in a season. So again, with Psalm 23, maybe that's the psalm that we, we sing and say to each other during the season of Easter. Perhaps we use Psalm 51, Create in me a clean heart, O God. We use that during the season of Lent. Um, with, with just a couple of seconds here, I think another good habit to get into is praying the psalms, both individually and with your family. Um, as a husband and a father, I'm sure that you can resonate with this too. Sometimes you get to the end of the day and you are spent. Uh, you just don't have a lot of energy. You don't have a lot of focus left. And um, you know that you need to pray with your children. You know that you need to pray with your wife, but you don't. It seems exhausting. So praying the Psalms, saying the words that God has given us to say back to him, leads us into the scriptures more. And I think that's an excellent habit to develop as well. My guest today, Matthew Mockamer, Associate Cantor, Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne. Up next, Sarah revisits a conversation with our missionaries. Concordia University, Wisconsin and Mequon overlooks a half mile of beautiful Lake Michigan shoreline. CUW campus is located 15 miles north of Milwaukee with over 70 undergraduate majors, 28 graduate degree programs, and doctorate programs in pharmacy, physical therapy, occupational therapy, and nursing practice. CUW offers online learning and accelerated learning at one of nine Wisconsin centers and one in St. Louis. Traditional or accelerated education, CUW has the program for you. CUW.edu.